0: Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force Modern. of an old fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. Hello and welcome to the Modern Bar Cart Podcast, the cocktail podcast where we demystify the tools and techniques that make great. Drinks. I'm your host Eric Koslick, and I'm glad you've decided to join me for what may be one of the most crucial early episodes you'll listen to on this podcast. So, in episode two, I broke down the essential cocktail-related tools you'll need to build your home bar or bar cart. And if you recall, I used a computer analogy that compared hardware and software to cocktail tools like shakers and bar spoons. And then on the other hand, consumables like spirits and mixers. The idea being that you buy your hardware once, and with that hardware, you can then run an almost infinite array of software. And the software of course is like the cocktails you make with that hardware. So today, we're going to take a deep dive into our metaphorical cocktail software, the literal spirits and cocktail mixers you'll need on hand if you want to start learning how to mix delicious drinks. Because this episode follows more of an audio essay format, I'm going to include a complete transcript of this episode, including links, in the show notes at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. Podcast. This is going to be a fairly brand-driven episode, at least toward the end, where I make a ton of brand recommendations at different price points for you, so please do check out the show notes or simply email podcast at modernbarcart.com if you have any lingering questions. Now, to kick things off, I'm going to identify a strong literary resource in respect to building your Spirits and Mixers collection, and that resource is the 12-bottle bar by David Solomonson and Leslie Jacobs Solomonson, originally published not too, too long ago, back in 2014. I will admit that I do not own this book. Seen it a few times, flipped through it, but don't personally own it. And if I were you right now, I'd be like... Why is this dude trying to sell me a book he doesn't actually own? Here's why. I'm going to make my own recommendations here today, and so I want you to have at least one resource against which to test my recommendations. I'd absolutely love it if you just accepted everything I said as the end-all be-all of cocktail advice, but the truth is everybody's got a different palette and different priorities, and I want you to have options. So jumping right in, I'm gonna rattle through the bottles that the authors of the 12 bottle bar think you should have on your shelf, and then I'm gonna give you the EJK updated 12 bottle bar where I keep the good and swap out what I think are weaker bottles for things that might be more fun or useful for you. Ready, here we go. Original 12 bottle bar consists of brandy, dry gin, Jennifer, also known as Holland's Gin, Amber Rum, White Rum, Rye Whiskey, Vodka, Orange Liqueur, Dry Vermouth, Sweet Vermouth, Aromatic Bitters, and finally Orange Bitters. Definitely a strong list of recommendations, and if I had to list 20 bottles that should be on every bar, then all or almost all of these would definitely make my cut. And the goal here just to remind you is is to be able to make the most and most interesting cocktails with the most flexible assortment of spirits. So instead of quibbling item by item, I'm just going to identify and quickly run through the three bottles I swapped out in my 12 bottle bar. And those bottles are Jennifer, Dry Vermouth, and Amber Rum. Jennifer is a type of gin produced in an off-dry style like it was in Holland when that spirit was particularly important um, and a popular import in the U.S. And this was during the mid-1800s when cocktail culture was still ramping up. So uh, this time period is described really richly in David Wondrich's book, Imbibe. And in that book, he notes uh, it was replaced dramatically popularity by english style dry gin around the turn of the 20th century and this is traceable by importation records now why am i picking on jennifer it's because there are so many great types of gins out there today gins really exploded in the United States and internationally so many great bottles and great styles to try that you shouldn't really be focusing on a certain style per se but rather tasting your way around to determine which gins you enjoy and which mix well with certain vermouths, bitters and other mixers now the next bottle that I eliminated uh dry vermouth the choice here also comes into discussion about the history of gin importation because Wondrich notes that the switch in popularity was at least partly in due to the fact that dry vermouth was also becoming a popular cocktail ingredient at that time and it mixed well well with English style dry gin but not with Jennifer so if I get rid of Jennifer dry vermouth should logically be allowed to stay I'll come back to that in a couple minutes when I talk about my replacement, the bottle that I replace it with. So finally to round out the three bottles that I took off of the 12 bottle bar, we've got Amber Rum, which in my opinion has a bit of an identity crisis. So it's not dark, but it's got too much caramel flavoring and coloring to be considered white. Don't start your bar with bottles that are straddling a middle ground between two other products. There are a lot of great cocktails that can be made with either dark rum or light rum. So my advice would be to pick up a bottle of whichever one you prefer most and then work your way out from there. So now that I've sort of gutted the premise of this really (laughs) well-respected book, probably alienated some people and maybe had some eyes glaze over while I dove into the history books for a second there, let's take a look at my new and I think slightly improved 12 bottle bar for 2017 and I'm going to throw these items rather, I'm going to go through these items a bit more slowly so they stick. So the first bottle is American whiskey and this can be either bourbon or rye. And the reason why this is number one is I think with a bottle of American whiskey, you've got a ton of options. Most American whiskey cocktails out there will designate which type is supposed to be included in the recipe, but there are almost as many exceptions as there are rules. Two classic exceptions being the Bourbon Manhattan and the Rye Old Fashioned. Typically, the spirits in those two cocktails are flip-flopped, at least on today's cocktail menu. So as long as you can find a bottle of some type of American whiskey, you can start experimenting with the basic flavor combinations in a lot of famous cocktails. For what it's worth, the original 12-bottle bar only recommends a bottle of rye whiskey, and this is probably because rye is the spirit that was available when a lot of the truly epic American cocktails were being invented back in the 1800s. So in their defense, not a bad recommendation, but I think bourbon is so popular these days and so easily switched out that you can feel confident opting for either bourbon or rye as your American whiskey bottle. Bottle number two, going across the pond, bottle of scotch whiskey. This is one of my replacements. We'll say, you know, I'm replacing Jennifer with whiskey. I think it's safe to say that contemporary cocktail trends are erring in the direction of smoky, complex, and even savory in some instances. And that's why I think it's important to have a bottle of scotch on your bar. Now, that being said, scotch isn't for everyone. I remember back when I first started experimenting with cocktails, I had a friend who had convinced himself that he needed to learn how to drink scotch. You know, because that's what, you know, classy adult men are into. And he had this one bottle of Johnny Walker Black that just would not go away fast enough. Interestingly enough, you know that friend is now a huge scotch fan so there is hope that your taste preferences can change and I firmly believe that scotch is an incredibly versatile cocktail spirit and I think it's going to give you a lot more flexibility than a bottle of Jennifer will especially in today's scene. Scotch, though, is one of those acquired tastes that people tend to like more after their taste perception fully matures, which is actually, in my opinion, facilitated by a curiosity in cocktails. So if you're on the younger but still legal side, maybe this is the last bottle you pick up for that 12-bottle bar. Maybe start with bourbon and then work your way up through rye and scotch. Bottle number three, gin, your flavor preference. Not specifying a style here. That's important. If you're listening to this episode, then you're probably here because you want advice. And so I can see how it might be frustrating that I took all the specificity out of my gin recommendation and dumped the burden on you. But here's why. I listed gin right after whiskey because I personally believe these two spirits are the most interesting, complex, and delicious to experiment with. They're really rewarding. There's so many versions and styles to choose from. And with today's distilling knowledge and technology, the thing is, it's really difficult to find a bad bottle above 15 to 20 bucks. So, when the experimental stakes are so low, I encourage you to experiment. And if you're truly experimenting and testing what's available to you, I'd say you could go 10 bottles before settling in on your house specialty. Whether that's a whiskey or a gin. And that's years of drinking. That's years of testing before you settle into that kind of highly stylized routine. Now, the flavor profiles in today's gins can range from extremely dry, meaning a lot of juniper and potentially high alcohol, as in a navy strength gin, to extremely bright meaning a lot of citrus peel and citrusy botanicals and You know, maybe even to extremely floral meaning there's a lot of herbs and flowery flavors in there and almost every gin distiller on the market has their own Botanical recipe that triangulates between these extremes maybe erring toward one end of the spectrum, but somewhere in the middle So go out ask for tastes figure out what you like and then bring it home really fun experimental process. Moving on now to bottle four, brandy or cognac. Brandy is a type of spirit that is distilled from grapes or fruit as opposed to grains like corn, rye, or barley. And cognac is just a fancy French brandy that comes from a specific region. So all cognacs are brandies, but not all brandies are cognacs, kind of a square, squares as a rectangle type thing. An ex- inexpensive bottle of brandy is great to have on the bar because it's called for in a lot of the older cocktails and punches that were developed before the late 1800s. It's got a nice sweet mellow and perfume flavor profile in most cases and it pairs really well with most orange liqueurs which we'll talk about further down the list. Not much to say about brandy until we get to the brand recommendations part of the episode, but I will mention that there is an abbreviation system on brandy, and especially cognac labels, that can help you to approximate its quality. So if you see the letters VS, it means you're buying a a fairly basic brandy, whereas VSO and VSOP, which stands for Very Special Old Pale, are a bit more refined, meaning that they've spent more time in the barrel um, and that age has kind of mellowed them out and given them a little bit more complexity. And finally, at the very top end of the spectrum, uh, anything that says XO is going to be the oldest, most distinguished, and generally most expensive bottle of brandy or cognac on the shelf. That's it now for brandy. Moving on to the EJK bottle number five. We've got rum, white or dark. And if you remember, this was part of a little controversy earlier when I bumped out amber rum. So this bottle is a great opportunity to choose your own adventure based on your flavor preferences or perhaps some other variable. For example, I tend to like white rum in the summer and dark or spiced rum in the winter months. The reason why I think your choice of rum matters less than your choice of gin or whiskey is because the best and most anthologized classic cocktails out there usually stray away from rum. There are a lot of notable exceptions to this, of course. I mean, there is the institution that is tiki, almost all of which use some type of rum. There's the stunning daiquiri cocktail, which uses white rum. In the the end, though... Here's my advice. While you're working on your whiskey and gin cocktails, use your rum and your brandy as flavor breaks, as departures from gin and whiskey. Mess around with them in the background and use these two generally sweeter spirits to learn more about your palate and zero in on the types of classic cocktails you like to make. Developing your palate is very much a trial and error project and that's precisely why I think having a bottle of rum is important for somebody just starting to build their bar. But I don't think the style of rum matters all that much in the beginning. Now for our final spirit, we have bottle number six, vodka. Poor vodka. It's been kind of the whipping boy of cocktail snobs for a long time now and there's one primary reason for this vodka doesn't taste like much. And there's a positive and a negative way to look at that. The positive way would be to say that having a spirit that is a quote-unquote blank slate is a great opportunity to see how other flavors shine through in certain drinks. In this sense, vodka offers a lot of flexibility and isn't likely to clash with the other ingredients in a cocktail recipe. In other words, it plays well with others. Kind of fades into the background. The negative way to approach vodka would be to say, what's the point? Why drink something that is by definition tasteless? I'm not going to get into the weeds about the debate here. Not going to take sides. Instead, I'm going to give you two good reasons to have a bottle of vodka on the bar. Reason number one, there are some great cocktails, including the Moscow Mule, the Kaiporoska, and the vodka martini. and They're easy to make and they're definitely crowd favorites. And You need vodka vodka to make them. So that's a good enough reason right there. Play with some of these really fun, popular cocktails. Reason number two, sometimes you end up entertaining people with sensitive palates and they want to participate in the delicious cocktails you're making, but maybe they can't handle whiskey or gin yet. Maybe their palate's just not there. This is where vodka saves the day. It's an all but invisible in fruit juice and or sparkling water and it's extremely easy to improvise something for your pickier guests that will delight them and make you feel like a great host. That does it for our base spirit. So now we'll move on to the lower ABV accompaniments with bottle number seven, Sweet Vermouth. This cocktail ingredient is incredibly important. Definitely one of the unsung heroes that's finally getting a little bit more attention recently i cannot overstate how important sweet vermouth is Uh, as we mentioned briefly prior to this episode uh, and as we'll return to in in a few episodes here with our bitters vermouths and liqueurs rundown with josh wolf of the wolf cocktail den it's a type of fortified wine that is infused with the flavor of other herbs roots, and spices to become sweet and complex. Some of my personal favorite cocktails that call for sweet vermouth are the Manhattan, the Negroni, the Boulevardier, the Vucare, the Martinez, and so, so many more. I'll make brand recommendations in a bit, but the most important thing to note here, and I'm sure I'll say this many more times in future episodes, is refrigerate your vermouth. If you leave it on the bar after you open it, it will oxidize and taste nasty. The end. Moving on now to bottle number eight, we've got Blanc or White Vermouth. This is probably my most controversial bottle, and as you'll recall, I never really gave a good answer for why I cut dry vermouth from the 12 bottle bar, at least my version of it. To tell the truth, I just think Blanc Vermouth tastes a little bit better across the board. It's mellower, it's more floral. It's a bit sweeter than dry vermouth, which is going to complement most gins quite nicely. And most importantly, I think its flexibility will encourage you, especially at the early phases of building your bar or bar cart, to experiment more than a dry vermouth will. See, part of building your bar and learning about cocktails is developing the bravery to go off recipe, kind of like taking a scenic detour, taking the road less traveled. I know that starting out, you'll probably cling to those recipes pretty hard, and that's great. The recipe is the recipe for a reason, because it tastes good. But then gradually the what ifs start to creep in. What if I change the ratio of whiskey to vermouth? What if I shake instead of stir? What about lemon juice here instead of lime juice? And if you pursue some of these what ifs, you're going to make some nasty drinks. This is all a way of saying, I think blanc vermouth is going to result in less of these duds, and therefore will encourage you to keep experimenting and keep trying to put your own spin on the classics, which is always one of the great joys of bartending. But you can't do it—you can't do it without making some duds. It's going to happen. I just think you'll make less of the duds with the blanc vermouth. Brand recommendations to come. Moving on now to bottle number nine: orange liqueur. Starting with the most basic definition, liqueurs are sweetened cocktail mixers that generally contain less alcohol by volume than spirits, but more alcohol than vermouths or fortified wines. So they sort of inhabit that middle ground between wine and liquor. Now, there are some notable exceptions always, like green chartreuse is probably my favorite exception in that I believe it's like 100 proof, which is um, you know as strong as a bonded bourbon. But uh, again, generally gonna be between 20 and 40% with liqueurs. So orange liqueur is exactly what it seems to be. It's sweet, it's orangey, and it's delicious. The three major types are triple sec, curacao, and aged stuff, which generally means Grand Marnier. Now again, it's very easy to get into the weeds here, but I'll save that for another episode and say you should probably start with an inexpensive bottle of this and work your way up tasting whenever you find a friend or a bartender who's willing to pour you a little sample of something slightly more expensive. You can weigh the costs and benefits with your own palate as you develop. Turning your attention to bottle 10, we'll find our second liqueur, and that is Amaro. Now, if you think there are a lot of orange liqueurs on the market, once you start investigating the world of Amari, which is the plural of Amaro, will literally make your head spin I was lucky enough to take a seminar on classic and modern Amaro at last year's Tales of the Cocktail Conference in 2016, and I was blown away by the sheer variety and complexity of these products on today's market. By definition, an Amaro is a bitter liqueur or aperitif. and In fact, our final three bottles all have something directly bitter about them, and that's okay. Don't be afraid. Bitterness actually plays a really important role in cocktails and serves to balance them out in many cases instead of making them unpalatable in any way. Uh, I think we have a fundamentally broken relationship with bitterness as a flavor, but uh, in cocktails, it's really something to try and warm up to even if initially uh, an Amaro is, is a little bit aversive to you. It's something you know, to come back to occasionally and see if your, your tongue has perhaps changed its mind. I'd recommend starting your adventure in the world of Amari after tasting a cocktail that someone more experienced has made using a particular Amaro. So you're what's gonna happen here is you're probably you're either gonna like it or you won't. But once you find one you do like, you're probably gonna get the itch to run to the store and pick up a bottle of Amaro. And there's many different types. So again, here maybe not one of the first bottles to pick up, but Amaro is going to be a force multiplier in the number of cocktails you can make with the other bottles on your bar. Whereas Gold Rum, for example, on the original twelve bottle bar list wasn't really going to give you too many more options. So that's why that's why I switched out a bottle of Amaro for the you know the uh, the Amber Rum here. I think it's it just makes so many options open up in terms of which cocktails you can make. Finally, I'm going to speak about our final two bottles, number 11 and number 12, in the same breath here. And those bottles are aromatic and orange bitters. Bitters are a flavor extract, and they contain something known as a bittering agent, which is just one or more ingredients in that extract that make the flavor bitter. That's the simplest way to describe it. There, these are some of the same ingredients used in vermouth and amari, but perhaps at a more potent concentration, and that it's not watered down or sweetened. <laughs> Bitters are extremely important for many of the cocktail giants. All three cocktails. Um, that are probably the the three that most people think of most often. The old fashioned, the Manhattan, and the Martini all contain bitters as a necessary component. So, aromatic bitters are going to be spicy, dark, and complex. Whereas orange bitters are going to be lighter, a little bit brighter, and just primed for use with gin. And I'll get into brand recommendations in just a second here. So. To review, the goal of putting together a basic 10 or 12 bottle bar is to be able to make the most different and delicious cocktails with the most trimmed down and versatile collection of spirits and mixers. And the nice thing is, if you're smart about your purchases, you certainly don't need to pick up all the ingredients at once. Remember, it's an experimentation process. It's guess and check. So if you're looking to ease your way in, here are my recommendations of the five bottles to pick up first. My essential five bottle bar would be whiskey either bourbon or rye gin bitters aromatic and or orange i mean they're pretty inexpensive usually so you can probably pick up both bottles there orange liqueur and sweet vermouth you can go a long way using those ingredients and what will happen is as time goes on you'll come across a recipe that sounds amazing and then you realize that you can't make it with what you currently have on your bar but you only need to go out and pick up a single ingredient as opposed to multiple ingredients, a big liquor store run or a big grocery run. So instead of making a whole production out of it, you've got one stop to make on your way home from work tomorrow and then you're ready to rock and roll with that new cocktail that you wanna test. So listen everybody, I know that was a lot of information. I'm throwing all these recommendations and flavor notes at you and it's hard sometimes to figure out where to actually start building your bar or bar cart. Just know that you can always email podcast at modernbarcart.com if you have any particular questions and we'll do our best to steer you in the right direction. So as I mentioned earlier, to close out the episode, I'm going to rattle through some brand recommendations so that you can make informed decisions as you stock up your own 12 bottle bar or bar cart. And I'll try to hit three price points. Inexpensive, middle of the road, and premium, which I'll refer to as bottom shelf, middle shelf, and top shelf, respectively. Starting with American whiskey, a great and very approachable bottom shelf rye is Old Overholt. A good bottom shelf bourbon, on the other hand, would be either Jim Beam or Evan Williams. For middle shelf, I'd go with the Bullet brand, B-U-L-L-E-I-T, and they make a really nice rye and bourbon. Rye is the green label with bullet, and bourbon is the orange label. And as far as top shelf goes, I'd go with Michter's Rye, M I C H T E R, apostrophe S, and maybe a nice high proof bourbon like Booker's or Noah's Mill. For scotch whiskey, bottom shelf would be a Johnny Walker Red or a Cuddy Sark. Um, both are blended scotches. And middle shelf again would probably be blended scotch. This time either uh, like a famous grouse or a monkey shoulder. And for top shelf, you'll want to get into the single malt, which requires a much more in-depth working knowledge of scotch. So if you're looking to pick up a top shelf bottle of scotch, have your friendly local bartender or that one guy you know who loves scotch teach you some of the basics. Personally, Lafroig and Macallan are my go-to top shelf brands. For gins, you've got a lot of options. Bottom shelf, I'd go with New Amsterdam gin. It's inexpensive and it's a great starter gin for pretty much any classic cocktail. For your middle shelf, I'd go with Bombay Sapphire for similar reasons and because you can get a great deal on a handle of it if you live in a state where Costco is licensed to sell spirits. That's just a little life hack there from personal experience. And finally, for the top shelf, I'm going to recommend my absolute favorite gin, which will probably come up early and often in, in, in most episodes when we talk about gin, and that is the Botanist, which comes from Scotland, interestingly enough can't say enough good things about this gin, but I'll leave it there for now so I can rant about it some other day. For Randy's and Cognac's, I'll recommend E&J as your bottom shelf. Very inexpensive and very consistent. For your middle shelf, um, I'd go with a brand I've found and fallen in love with, which is called Maison Rouge, M-A-I-S-O-N-R-O-U-G-E, literally the red house. This is actually a VSOP cognac, so very high quality, and it sells for less than $30 a bottle here in Washington, D.C. Maybe not as available in other parts of the country. Uh, I don't know. You're going to have to send send us an email and let us know if it's available where you are. Be very curious. And for top shelf here, you really can't go wrong with a nice Curvoisier VSOP or XO, but there are a lot of less well-known names that might actually be better at the same price. So See if you can find someone knowledgeable to walk you through the brands, but only if you're really confident in the quality of your liquor store. You might get some bad advice if you just you know, walk up to anybody who works there and ask them to, to run you through it. They might, they might just try and sell it to you without really knowing. For rum now, Cruzon is a good bottom shelf white rum, and Bacardi Black is fairly inexpensive on the dark rum side. For your middle shelf, I'd go with anything from Mount Gay or if you're looking for spiced rum sailor jerry's if you want to spend a lot of money on rum most whites aren't going to be all that expensive because they're not aged they're not there's nothing there's no time or other processes being undertaken to add add price to the to that bottle um so you're going to be looking at a dark rum at, at top shelf and and Really, some of the longer-aged dark rums can can get up there. This is, again, an area where you'll want to either do your research beforehand or see if you can find somebody knowledgeable to help you make your expensive selection. For vodka, bottom shelf doesn't mean it has to come in a plastic handle. Again, here, go with New Amsterdam. Middle shelf would be something like a Svedka or a Kettle One, and top shelf would be something like Belvedere or Grey Goose, I guess. And there's a lot a lot of craft vodka popping up out there. Honestly, vodka is one of those spirits where you get drastically diminishing returns after the middle shelf. So especially if you're mixing, don't, don't even bother. Don't even think about dropping cash on the expensive imported stuff. It's not gonna make really a, a meaningful difference in the cocktail. If you want to buy an expensive bottle of vodka, at least try to find something local and help support your local distillers. I think that's a good option to some of the more expensive imported vodka. For vermouths, Martini and Rossi is going to be your bottom shelf option across the board. Whether that's a sweet vermouth, dry vermouth, or a blanc vermouth, I, I believe they have some sort of blanc option, but that might not be at every liquor store. Um, your middle shelf option is going to be Dolin, D-O-L-I-N. I really love Dolan, can't say enough good things about their their French vermouth. They have a a great sweet vermouth and a really nice blanc vermouth and and these are what I have most commonly on my bar when I'm making cocktails. And For top shell vermouth, I'd recommend Carpano Antica, spelled exactly like it sounds, as your sweet vermouth and Lille Blanc, L-I-L-L-E-T-B-L-A-N-C as your white vermouth. Now, for orange liqueur, bottom shelf would be something like a BOLS, B-O-L-S, or a De Kuyper D-E-K-U-Y-P-E-R, and these would be uh, triple sex. For middle shelf, I'd recommend Cointreau or Grand Gala. And for top shelf, definitely go with my favorite, Grand Marnier, or splurge on a bottle of real Curacao, not the blue stuff. Very important. Blue Curacao. Not not, not as legit as the real Curacao, which is going to be clear. For your Amaro, there are really no bottom shelf options. Most of these are imported and don't get cheaper than 30 bucks. If you want to start with a nice mild Amaro, go with an Amaro Montenegro, spelled like the small European nation, or a bottle of Aperol, A-P-R-O-L. Now, if you want a middle-of-the-road Amaro, go with bottle of Campari, which is used in two really excellent cocktails, the Negroni and the Boulevardier, or a bottle of Cynar, C-Y-N-A-R, which is an uh, artichoke-based Amaro. You'll really impress people if you pronounce that one correctly. Can't emphasize that enough. Finally, if you wanna challenge, if you wanna challenge your palate, pick up a bottle of Fernet, F-E-R-N-E-T, which is one of the most bracingly bitter flavors out there, but it has a really strong cult following, especially within the beverage industry. Finally, the last two bottles, the bitters. You probably know I'm a bit biased on this front since I'm responsible for a cocktail bitters brand called Embitterment, but try to stay objective here. For bottled, bottom shelf aromatic bitters, go with Angostura or Peychaud's. Solid bitters, inexpensive, and many classic cocktails actually call for them by name because they've been around for so long. So remember when I said the recipe is the recipe for a reason? If you want to start with your old fashioned you got to have Angostura bitters. Just got to. It's where I started. And I, I think there's something to be said for going with the classics and learning those before you branch out. For bottom shelf orange bitters, I'd go with a brand called Regans. For your middle shelf, I'd recommend Embitterment, which you can pick up on modernbarkart.com. Ship it right to your doorstep. Full disclosure I make these bitters. We have uh, Creole style aromatic bitters, which is similar in flavor profile to Peychaud's, uh, And It's great for those classic New Orleans cocktails as well as for your old fashions and Manhattans. We also make a really great orange bitters using fresh orange peel, dried orange peel, and a ton of fresh ginger, which really accentuates those essential oils extracted from the peel. And Bitterman's goal pretty much is to offer top shelf quality at middle shelf prices, and that's why it's my middle shelf recommendation. I, I'm not not trying to be completely nepotistic here and, and just just push my own agenda. I do think that they're you know genuinely exceptional quality for the price and for the potency of what's in the bottle, because our bitters are not sweetened and they're not watered down like many others are. So, for top shelf, you're not going to find too many traditional aromatic or orange bitters. So what I would do is feel free to experiment with flavors that may be, you know, barrel aged or slightly experimental. Changing your bitters around is like one of the simplest and most effective ways to learn the nuances of your favorite cocktails and spirits. So really good, really good thing to do there. I wouldn't worry too, too much about buying top shelf bitters, especially starting out. So there you have it. 12 bottles I think everyone should have on their bar or bar cart, complete with brand recommendations across three price points. I hope this information has been helpful to you, and I hope it's not intimidating that we're just scratching the surface. It's true. There's a lot more to talk about with cocktails. And the bottles in this episode are just going to come back again and again as we become more familiar with cocktails and start to build our bar cart. And that's exciting. A few quick things. Before I take off, one, be sure to check out our show notes for links to resources like the 12 bottle bar that were mentioned today. So just visit modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast and search for this episode, episode four. Two, as you build out your bar, tag us on social media and show off your boozy purchases. We always love to hear from you, so you can either tag or mention at Modern Bar Cart on Instagram. Or if you'd like to stalk me personally, you can follow and tag at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. We're also, of course, on Facebook as well. So search for us there and maybe throw a like our way. Three, if you like what you heard so far, please let us know. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts and send us your thoughts. Nice five-star rating never hurts, but that is for you to decide. Finally, if you have any questions about this topic or any other cocktail-related topic, please send them my way by emailing podcast at In some cases, I may even follow up with you and ask your permission to use your question on the show. That's it for me. That's all I've got for you today. I know it was a lot, so take some time to process this. Maybe take a trip out to the liquor store and peruse the shelves. But until next time, drink responsibly and experiment Hopefully.